and welcome to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a Sports Ethos production, where we look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. I'm Candace Hagens. I'm Tino Ganasius. And we are here. It is a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you. We are going to do a recap of uh, Monday Night Football, Seahawks, Giants. It was one for the ages. Tino. I'm eager to hear your thoughts, man. What did you think of the game? It it gave me that old school, like, you know, Seahawks, the years that Seahawks were successful, even back to my childhood, when you got super excited for, you know, a charged up defense and getting pressure on the quarterback, those sorts of years. It it took me back to those days. I think all of us, we were just excited and, and having fun. And there's nothing like a, a, a swarming, suffocating defense to root for. I would... Personally, much rather root for that than a, than a, a big shootout every every game. This was phenomenal. I, I took me back years and and I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah, it, re- it really was. I think it's the most fun I've had watching a game probably since the LOB days. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like for like you said, it's just and, and I do. I love offense. I'm team offense. Um, I would have loved if we could have got it just a little bit more offense going, but. Um, that 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 was just such an incredible performance and it's meaningful because they've struggled so much right like i think that's what takes it over the top to me was was really that they've had such a hard time especially coming from where they were week one to mm-hmm. what they look like week four it was just such a breath of breath of fresh air and why yes the giants stink um we'll just put that <laughs> out there the giants are not a good team they they had a lot of issues a lot of flaws with that roster and just overall at this point the organization but there have been plenty of times where we've seen opponents that we were supposed to beat yep. just railroad. I mean, if you go back to even last year, the Panthers game that they ended up losing, the Sam Darnold, uh, the Raiders game that they were, that they ended up losing. So how many times have we seen this defense not stand up against a, weak, a weaker opponent? So yep. I, I don't care that it was the Giants and that the Giants stink because yep. either way, it's progress. How many times have we seen the Seahawks lose to a bad Cardinals team? Right. Right. All the time. I, I agree. Now, as you said, Daniel Jones, at least what we saw, does not look like a an NFL starting quarterback to me. You know, they the defense talked about how if he doesn't have his first read, basically he's screwed. Yep. Um, his ability to really their only big plays came off of swing passes and him scrambling, right? And that's not really the sign of a of a, a very good quarterback. But to your point. The fact that they were able to capitalize on those weaknesses, right, and actually take advantage of a weak offensive line mm-hmm. and take advantage of a lack of of skill position uh, weapons, we don't see them do that all the time, right? We see them step up to the competition against good teams quite often, but play down to the level of competition against bad teams. Now, one thing that that I see from this defense is the intensity and leadership of per- – primarily uh, Devon Witherspoon, but also Bobby Wagner. Yep. Witherspoon's energy is not going to allow this defense to let down, yep. right? He is so energetic and so electric, and I know we'll get into him more. Mm-hmm. He does He does even more of that than what Jamal Adams provides when Jamal Adams is on the field. So you put those two on the field and that kind of energy, they're not going to stop. They're not going to allow this defense to slow down. They might make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to let the energy come down. And I think that to me is, you know, is almost the key to unlocking it. They look like a completely different team with Witherspoon on the field. I know we said that last time we talked. It is even more evident now. Yes. I, I can't believe the difference that one small, slight, you know, uh rookie corner makes to the entire to the energy of and the dynamic of a defense. I I, I can't say enough about him. Yeah, and to your point about the letdown, how many times have we seen the Seahawks, the defense in particular, get off to a dominant start, right? And then they go into that soft, prevent defense, and then next thing you know, opponents back in the game. Mm-hmm. But it really was that aggressiveness, that continuing of, and I, and part of it might be that Clint hurt because I know Pete prefers that. I think that's always been Pete, right? Eventually, go back to your soft zones, but Clint hurts up in the booth now. Mm-hmm. And so, and I guess Pete can still communicate with him, but I think it gives Hurt a little bit more range to 
I mean, step on the gas. If you got him down, keep pushing. And it was it was just nice to see that. It was refreshing to see that the aggression continue and not go become in a passive mode and become all right, all right, we'll have enough because you will let your opponent back in the game, especially when your offense was struggling so much. They needed the defense to keep their foot on the pedal because I'm not sure the offense, given all the injuries they were dealing with, could have overcome really, you know, the moment, I mean, Gino's hurt. Like that's it's just it was a tough situation for the offense. And so the defense really did need to save the day. And they they did. A lot of what it's interesting you say that because a lot of the things that I saw from the defense, I did get a chance to see the all 22. And what I saw was them still playing a lot of softer defense and keeping stuff in front of them. But I think because Witherspoon is so improvisational and because he's so aggressive, you kind of the way I look at it is Adams and Witherspoon are your two like queens on a chessboard. So you allow them, you blitz them, right? You put them in positions to make dynamic plays. And then everyone else kind of holds it down. And if you can get pressure from the front four and you allow those two guys to kind of play close to the line, then play off, right? And everyone else keeps everything in front of them. I think it's the best of both worlds where you get some more aggression than what we're used to because we have those two dynamic players. But Pete still gets his, you know, let's keep everything in front. Like you watch... There was a, pa- a pass that was complete in front of Reek Woolen. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, he doesn't want to be playing that way. Right. But it's just what the defense asked him to do against a quarterback like Daniel Jones, who I don't think the Seahawks believe could march the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. And without Saquon, to me, that's the smart defense. We just saw dynamic plays because Witherspoon and when Adams was on the field, because they are so explosive and dynamic. I think the defense just looks better. Now that's not also that's not giving credit to the edges because I think the edges played phenomenally, especially the ones you pointed out on Twitter. Like Nwosu is is he played a phenomenal game. The more I watch him, the more access we as fans have to every play. And he just makes the right de- and he makes the right decision every single time. There was a naked bootleg, I think, in the second quarter, where you saw him on the fake. He headed towards the running back and he stopped in his tracks and he put the pressure on Jones that created the opportunity for Edwards to force the fumble. That was in Wilson who yep. made the play, not right? Yep. But that's the kind of discipline we're not used to seeing out of those edges, right? We don't see that. We didn't see that from years past. So he, to me, he's not as much of a key as Witherspoon is to that defense or the or the or Woolen, but almost as much. I think they have the potential to be a top five defense this year. They are that good. Yeah, if they if they keep playing like that, then they will. And and I'll, I'll point out while while they did do still some underneath stuff, I did see a little bit more. Sometimes you'd see Tariq, and I still I haven't watched the whole game in all twenty two, but I have seen various like I've seen most of the first quarter and some of the second. But um, you did see sometimes they kind of press a little bit. Now they they kind of let Witherspoon it seem like you said kind of improv, do whatever he wants Lance. to do. Uh, he really had that free will that helps. And then they were more aggressive with the blitzing. Mm-hmm. because Bobby Wagner had a sack. They were blitzing uh, Jordan Brooks. And so another thing is, and it, I've always advocated for this, if you're going to play soft zone, you got to be, I mean, the whole Vic Fangio uh, system is around one-man principles. But if you are going to veer from that, you've got to be aggressive up front. You can't just give them all the time in the world to pick on those soft zones. You can't have soft zones and passive like, I mean, just say, hey, the front four, go get it, especially if you don't have a strong front four. Mm-hmm. So it was great to see the coaching adjustment. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I feel like is important. We needed to see some coaching adjustment, not just sticking to the same old thing, same old scheme, same old all, all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it worked beautifully, just being aggressive and continuing to stay aggressive. One, like you said, it sort of lit a fire under with a spoon because that's sort of his style of play. But also it translated and it just was a feeding frenzy, right? Uh, you got some of the best blitzers in the league. Bobby Bobby Wagner is one of the better middle line blitzing middle linebackers you can have and that they've really underutilized that over the years. I mean, him having career sacks in, at the Rams is 
pretty unexcusable. I mean, like it, he should have been used in that way more. And, hope, and I, I, I see a difference there. Jordan Brooks is really good on the blitz. Uh, Devin Witherspoon is really good. Not to mention, of course, you've got good edge players. You can blitz some of your corners. I mean, there's just a lot of opportunity. And I love to see the coaching staff cater to the strengths for once of their players. It's something, again, I've, I've been really hard on Pete and the defensive coaching staff for these reasons. But and, uh, one thing I always said is if Pete fixes it, then I prefer Pete. I'm not team get rid of Pete. I love what he brings to this team. And if he can just prove that he can field even a decent defense, like you said, top five, if they're top 15, that is fine with me. And it is it's a step in the right direction, especially given the weapons that they do have on offense, if they can just get some good luck to come their way. <laughs> um, but so it, But it was a really impressive showing all around on the defense. The one of the things I found really or I'm finding fascinating with how this defense is is playing out is, you know, we see Wagner get these huge tackle totals in part because they try to funnel all of the ball carry ball carriers to Wagner to make the tackle. Right. They trust him to make the tackle. In a lot of ways, they're starting to build this defense around Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. And because what I to your point, what I saw a lot of was him freelancing and, and being able to make big plays instinctually. And, but sometimes he's out of position, right? That pick six, if you look at the pick six, Darren Waller was open. Yep. And he was open running a corner route, you know, in the end zone. And he was open. And I don't know whether it would have been Woolen or Witherspoon's uh, responsibility to cover him, but he, that was a bad decision on Daniel Jones's part, as much as it was a great play by Witherspoon. The other interesting part of that particular play was they started with Waller and Campbell on that left side. And they moved uh, Wondell Robinson in motion from the right side. But they started with Woolen as the corner and uh, Witherspoon as the slot. But the slot was covering the tight end, not the slot receiver on the other side. So the, the Seahawks putting those two corners together in that situation was interesting to me as well. But had Jones thrown the ball to, to Waller, that's probably a Giants touchdown. And I don't know if it was a blown assignment or what, but the instincts of Witherspoon to jump that route and, and pick it off was it's an example to me of him still being young and maybe not playing the best assignment football but still making a great play because he is so he's such an instinctual football player. And yeah. if you can set him up to be, to not give up big plays and still be able to be himself like that tackle behind the line of scrimmage on that bubble screen, which was nuts. It was reminiscent of the Illinois play. I just, I think he can make, we've seen it. So already he can make two, three, four, five big plays in each game that put the Seahawks ahead. The other thing to say is, and you're going to hate me for saying this because this is that Pete Carroll old school stuff is I'm a swore right there. Sorry. Is uh, <laughs> they won the turnover battle, turnover battle, three, nothing. Right. And we talked about that a couple games ago. It's yeah, the same Pete Carroll formula, even though it looks different at times, it's don't turn the ball over. Don't make big mistakes. Don't give up big plays and eventually we'll win. We just hope happen to go against a team that that was couldn't do anything at all. Yeah. So a, a couple points, and I think you're I think you're right on that because I have seen some the that, that Waller was open. Now, I do think I heard Richard Richard Sermon talk about this on um, Undisputed because I was kind of curious as to what he would say mm -hmm. on uh, Undisputed. He was talking about how the, because of the motion, I think Bobby shifted left, and so that shifted. They, I think they were supposed to shift, and I you know, I don't know. Like you said, was it Woolen? Was it Witherspoon? Somebody didn't shift anyway. But now he said. What he mentioned was that you probably wouldn't be throwing left anyway, because if you've seen that, like if everybody's shifting to that side, that's not really an area you should avoid. But because of the lapse in communication or something like that ended up happening, he still ended up making a really poor decision right. um, and getting the pick six, which worked in our favor. Um, but to your other point about the the turnovers, I, I really don't hate that. I always say it. I do think turnovers matter. There is always going to be something to that. Now, I think, what is a little overblown is that most quarterbacks in the NFL today aren't, are not, they'll dink and dunk you to death. It's not nearly the same thing that it was years ago where you could just, you know, play conservative because of that. Uh, yes, 
turnovers matter. And they they are there's a strong correlation between turnover differential and win. Mm-hmm. But I think if if the context matters, right? If you're using that as an excuse not to go for it, if you're using that for as an excuse to it will win if we just don't make mistakes, that's not necessarily true anymore. You can make no mistakes and still lose. Right. And if you're playing not to win, right? If you're just or you're playing not to lose, pretty much you can lose a game. But uh, so there's a little nuance that I have with it. But in 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 theory, I do agree with you as long as it's not an excuse to be super concert conservative when you know really in any situation you still want to be aggressive and you still can't count on the other person making a mistake because they may not not every every opposing quarterback is going to be daniel jones right i think part of i guess part of what i'm saying is i have a a greater appreciation i think every game for geno smith Mm -hmm. you know because he's he's getting this is the onslaught of pass rush right we saw you know, those guys, a couple of those guys are just turnstiles. The tackles were just getting tore up. And his awareness in the pocket is so great. And that plus accuracy, right, makes for a very um, mistake-free quarterback. And, you know, he, coming out of, of West Virginia, he was a gunslinger and he was fast and athletic. And really, he's kind of like an old man quarterback now where he's great in the pocket He's great reading defenses and he's an accurate passer. And that to me is, it's not so much that turnover. Yes, they won the turnover battle three, nothing. And I still believe in being ahead in that, but I I agree with you. It's about, you know, you might turn the ball over going forward on fourth down when it was mathematically the right thing to do. That's not a big deal. But the fact that Geno is, if you couple a quarter or a quarterback like Geno Smith, who's not making mistakes, right? He's not trying to force feed DK deep. He's not trying to throw deep with no pass protection, right? He's not making mistakes. You couple that with the defense that is now becoming dynamic enough that they can force turnovers because that was a problem for years. They just couldn't force them, right? Right. They had great red zone defense but couldn't force turnovers. Now they can, at least in this game they did. So if you couple a defense that can create turnovers with a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes, that is still playing conservatively, but it is the right kind of conservative. It's the kind of conservative that I believe can win in 2023. Fact of the matter is that line, when I saw you post those PFF grades on Twitter, they were, that line was horrendous. It was bad. I, now, everybody's giving them praise. Uh, and, uh, 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 uh. And they, I really want people to understand those guys stink. Mm-hmm. But Aldrin has appropriately schemed using those tight end formations to really help him out. And they've got some, we got some really good blocking tight ends. I mean, Kobe Parkinson has, has really grown in that area quite a bit, and he's been really helpful. Jake Bobo is a dude in block in the blocking game. He is a guy, mm-hmm. um, and so those things have really helped offset as well as, like you said, Gino's pocket presence, his ability to get out and scramble, mm-hmm. his just overall quick thinking, quick knowledge, his ability to process the game very quickly has worked to the advantage of the situation. Mm-hmm. But though the offensive line depth, I said this in the preseason, and I stand by it because I've only seen the first quarter, so I do have to go back and watch the whole game. But we have the worst offensive line depth in the league, in my opinion. Like, it's it's really bad. And I know that's I know that's gonna rub a few people wrong the wrong way because they're saying, hey, the guys held up, they did their best. It's not an indictment on the on the players. It's just an assessment of like front office needing to make that a priority moving forward, more so, because it was pretty bad. And they I don't I really need this bye week so that we can get at least one of the tackles back mm-hmm. because you know, G- Gino can't navigate like five dudes. <laughs> giving up pressures, giving up pressure. Now, Evan Brown has been really good. Evan Brown has been solid. Um, overall, he played well too. Like yeah. OT, his grade was great, but he held up against the pass, as you posted. Yes. He 14 and 0 in his uh pass block opportunities. Yep. And I think that you know, I think that Lewis is still, I like Lewis and I like some of what I've seen from Bradford, but the reality is. I think even if you had one of the tackles go out, but not both, this line would look really different. But yes. those two tackles together at the same time. Now, I say all that, and they and I know what they look like. The eye test was horrible, but the reality is they still gave up two sacks and three hits to a defensive line that starts 
Dexter Lawrence, who is a top five defensive tackle in football. Right. Uh, Thibodeau, who was a top five pick, who we all know run, runs like a four five five and is a great pass rusher. And Leonard Williams, right? Now, Leonard Williams doesn't put a ton of pressure on the passer, but he's a very strong, very good DN, right? right. Big, big 3-4 DN. And they held up. And so, I don't know, let me ask you, how much credit, what percentage of the credit do you give to Gino? And what percentage of the credit do you give to the line? But I guess also a, a part of that pie has to be coaching okay. uh, strategy too. I give 35 to 40% to the line. Because mm-hmm. I do feel like the interior did pretty good, pretty well. And I think Gino can, I've, I've said this before, but Gino and most quarterbacks, it's easier to navigate edge pressure than interior pressure because you can step up into the pocket. You can navigate those things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the that the interior was passable, I think made it easier for Gino to be able to at least somewhat function. But then, of course, his injury, uh, you know, hurt that. But I'd say – um in this particular game, I'll give Gino maybe 40. I'll say 40. I'll say 35. Let me make sure I'm, I'm off. Let me, let me make sure my math. Don't catch me on my math, guys. Yeah, let me alone. I'm done. I'm right. out. Yeah, no, I don't want to be embarrassed on, um, on my all three, all three of those components were necessary, right? Like the line, you know, the line held up a bit. Gino spoke about navigates that rush really well. And to your point, Waldron was the game plan was right, right? They didn't take deep shots. Right. They didn't they didn't expect the line to hold up. It was one, two, three, boom, right? Yeah. Every time. Boom. And Gino's smart enough and quick enough to make those decisions. All the patterns were in sync mm-hmm. with the with those short drops. All of that stuff made sense. The other thing I loved that he did was there was so much misdirection in the backfield. Right. There was so much where you had, you know, those weird formations where you had the two tight ends lined up side by side and the back on the other side. And you didn't know which way everything was going and they were crisscrossing. That kind of thing buys you time. All that is intended to do is to buy you time and move your eyes. And that particular formation with misdirection, they did a number of times. And the Giants, no matter how athletic you are, if you hesitate at all with that kind of misdirection, that's enough time for Gino to actually be able to throw the ball. And so I think that that was huge on Waldron's part to be able to actually make that happen. Yeah. Um, I commend them. I know they only scored 17 points, the offense did, yeah. but they given did a situation. Yeah. Given the situation, Monday night at New York, right? All those things, offensive line all banged up. I, I, I commend them. Um, we got to talk about Drew Locke because I know we disagree on this one based on yeah. our yeah, we, we, I just wanted to say one thing that I did find frustrating, though, listening to the broadcast is they kept talking about how banged up the Giants O-line was. And I'm going, the Seahawks don't have a single starter that actually plays their actual position playing right now. <laughs> like the Seahawks have five guys who are in completely different positions than when they started this game. Well, oh, well, no, not when they started this game, but like from, I guess, their ideal starting like lineup, right? It was just so frustrating just to keep hearing them talk about how the Giants are beat up. And I'm going, Gino's like limping over here and he's like dealing with a whole completely new line, man. It, it, standard, um, that's standard national coverage, though, for any Seattle team, right? It's always about the other team and it's never about the Seahawks or the Mariners or that's just, that's how they are. It's a, we're kind of invisible in some ways. It, yeah. And, I'm like, I mean, I know they're, I know they're like making it work. And I know it's part of it, right? Because the Seahawks keep getting like, historic 11 sacks but uh and, and the and gino's kind of for the most part staying you know pretty clean but uh just again credit to him so uh now that we've talked about a good quarterback uh let's talk about drew lock <laughs> all right so when the, when the seahawks acquired drew lock you know i had watched him with the broncos and he he looked terrible he was a potential going into his final year at missouri he was a potential number one pick he had that kind of talent in people's eyes. I believe it was a second round pick of the Broncos. He was he started early in his career. He looked terrible. He was throwing late over the middle. He was throwing well, deep. And well, his it. rookie year was 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 hot. I mean, he came in hot for a while. Yes, yeah, for that, the end of the but end of his he, rookie year. 
at the end of his tenure with the Broncos, he looked like he wondered if he was an NFL quarterback at all, right? right. Seahawks take him in. He becomes the backup. We've heard a lot about him. He hadn't really, you know, we hadn't seen him on the field in the regular season. I, I We disagree on what we saw because I actually really loved what I saw. And I'll tell you why. Loved it. I did. I did. Okay, so, I got to go back. I haven't, I, like I said, I've seen first and second. I don't think I've seen Drew. I don't think so, I've seen, I, don't, I hadn't watched the Drew series. So the mobility, thinking. first of all, the mobility and the quickness that I saw from him, the foot speed, and the, be able to, the ability to get outside of the pocket and throw on the run looks very, very different than G. It looks like early Russ in some ways. He's that fast, right? So he's got this quickness that's different that I think changes the complexion of the offense for one. For two, there was a drop by JSN on the sideline on a really nice pass on the out route. Um, he had the pass to Fant that, you know, people are quick to say, well, that was an easy pass to make. Fant was wide open. Fant was the one who made the play. Yes. But how many times have we seen quarterbacks miss the short route, right? Miss the player in that city. He still has to make the play and he did it. And I think the biggest thing for me was that all the chances, the gunslinger chances he used to take with Denver, he didn't do any of that in this game. And I know it's a small sample. It was essentially one, you know, one drive. But the fact that he didn't take chances and he played within the offense, he has the kind of arm talent and athletic talent if he learns to not make ch- or take chances to be a very good starting NFL quarterback. I'm not saying that he's going to be super dynamic or an MVP candidate or anything like that. But look at Brock Purdy. He puts up huge numbers and they don't ask him to do a whole lot of anything other than hit crossing routes. So for me, I love the mobility. I love the decision-making. I think he, outside of the one pass he threw behind JSN, he's been, he was super accurate. Um, I just, again, small sample, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw. And I think if Gino went down for a stretch, I personally would feel confident with Drew Locke as the starting quarterback for a couple of games, as long as the the game plan was built for him, meaning more rollouts and and more things outside of the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. He is mobile. He's got the athleticism. That's always been his strength. Mm-hmm. When evaluating Drew Locke, I'm not looking at that because he's always been that. That's what made him a first round talent. So, so in my mind, it's not a factor in terms of evaluating him. That's his upside. That's what even put him in this position to begin with. So I'm going to set that part to the side. His issue was the gunslinger. As a, and, and you have, and I will give him incremental improvements in his decision-making. I do think he's gotten better with it. I think you see he's trying to do better with it. And you see his intentionality does it always go well. No, but especially in larger sample sizes, like he did, he did all right in decision making in this game. Like that wasn't a factor, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, I I would question that the drop passes both to uh, JSN and then also I think Title Lockett had one, if I'm not mistaken. I would question the velocity of those balls. It didn't look like they had much touch on them. They looked like kind of fast balls, and so there is an element of when you're talking about drops, how much does a quarterback take on that? And he was. I mean, even Pete was saying he's full of adrenaline, right? But he's nervous, and he and I he's, get it. He missed Lockett, and he missed JSN. Those two passes he missed, right? Those were not good passes. I will grant you that. Yeah, it was. They were fastballs, and they were, you know, they were they were dropped for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and it could just be the adrenaline thing, right? I I will give some grace in that regard. Uh, but I just don't like. There's still an erraticness to his game, like you said, his ability to get out, of throw, and run. He's never been accurate in those situations is the problem. He's historically, he's able to do it, but he's historically inaccurate. So it can go to any team. So that, I can't see, and it's a small sample size, so you're not going to really be able to critique it. I can't see, I can't sit and look at that and say that that's anything different from what I would expect from him. Mm -hmm. I don't see how that's much more different than what he did in the preseason. He showed improvements in his game, in his decision-making, for the most part, he still made some poor decisions, but it's not it's not as big of a part of his game as it was. But he's still inaccurate when throwing on the run. As much as that's a part of his game, it's also a double-edged sword. And he's still, in terms of the types of throws and and how to like 
really throw with touch and anticipation. Maybe he's got the anticipation, but not the touch, right? And so those are still things that I don't see the improvements in. And if you're running this system, I don't love that. It makes me nervous. Makes me nervous. And all you need is one bad play. If he was, if he was, say Gino was out for the season, do I think, do I think that Drew Locke steps in and plays as well as Gino? I don't, right? But I guess my point is, and we're saying essentially the same thing, but the one out route that he completed was a, a really nice pass. Again, the pass to Fant was the athleticism is what got him out on the edge in the first place. Mm-hmm. The pass still needed to be completed. The other element that he brought was he gained 13 yards on a design quarterback draw. Yeah. And quick, right? And so, yes, I, I understand that the athleticism is what brought him into the league. But the thing that is going to make him a viable starting quarterback is decision-making. I I like his touch a little more than you do. I think he's got more arm talent than I think he gets credit for. But the decision-making was the issue with the Broncos. That was the issue. And the the decision-making in this game was the one one pass. I don't know what he was doing in the pass that was behind JSN because that's a potential pick if the the defense is in the right spot. But outside of that, I like the decision-making. And that was the issue, right? It was – it was million dollar arm, ten cent head with him, and yeah. well, I don't know. We have to see more from him, and we can debate this. I, I was gonna say, look, I just want to add: mm-hmm. if he had, if he still had one of those poor decisions, even in that small sample size, then it's still <laughs> the same problem. Is what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I'm not. I, I do see progress, and he's not the same player he was in the, in Denver. But is he good enough to be a viable starting option, considering how important, like you said? The turnover battle is to P. Carroll. I don't understand why they have him, to be honest, because all you need is a turnover to change the game. Oh, who do you want Andy Dalton instead? I'd actually rather. Zach Wilson? No, because he's just as turnover prone as Drew Locke is. And he's not, he doesn't even have the. No. No. See, I just I think I like Drew Locke. Well, we can agree to disagree. And I think that the mistakes that you make in a small sample, if you give someone enough reps, they have the ability to to figure those things out, right? Like to expect mistake-free football in, you know, in a, a quick third of a quarter, one drive, two drives, whatever it might be, it's not going to happen, especially if you were mistake-prone previously. For me, I just want to see progress. And what I saw was progress in this game. But again, we can agree to disagree, and let's just hope he doesn't have to take the field again this year. Let's, whether you, let's whether you like him or not, let's hope that he doesn't take the field again this year. Let's 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 definitely do that. I, I will just I'll say I like my backups to be non-turnover prone. That's and that is personal preference, right? Like there's the, old, some people like upside, right? Wash quarterbacks. Is that what? Old wash quarterbacks. That's the ones you want. Or you know, like a uh, what Hendon Hooker. He's not, I mean, he's older. He's an older class, but like he has. You know, we don't even know, we don't know if he's mistake prone yet or not, though. He yeah. Threw at Tennessee. Well, he threw picks at Tennessee. Yeah. I, yeah. But it's, I get what you're saying. Like, you want. They're different it, styles, right? Like, like the gunslinger. He's he's always been the gunslinger type, and I, I don't love a gunslinger in my, in my backup role, but but I but I hear you. Okay. We're going down, in flames, we're going down in flames if he comes in the game. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, not in not in fanatic fashion, just a small fire right. that will ultimately um destroy it all. Okay. <laughs> I, I got a I got a question for you. What's that? There's a lot of talk about Zach Charbonnet, right? He trucked the dude last week. Yeah, you know, running hard in this game. And I and he went to Michigan for a while and transferred, right? So and I typically tend to be I try not to be biased with Michigan dudes. I can't say that I'm not always biased, um, but I question, do you see anything dynamic from him? If you could rewind the draft, would you have taken him in the second round? Do you like what you see so far from him as far as the value goes and what else maybe they could have used that second round pick on? Um, That's a good question. I'm going to go with, I'm still okay with the decision because they they need they don't just need another dude they need as much as our uh running back rooms have been absolutely dissolved you need another guy who can start in a pinch mm-hmm. and while Charbonnet hasn't got a ton of opportunities he really hasn't got a ton of opportunities 
I think you see enough from him um, from his place down now. Is he as great with vision? No, but then the offensive line stinks in the run game. So I do think that part is a little bit of an unfortunate trade-off, but I think you need the caliber of guy who can start in case your number one guy goes down because every year the number one guy goes down. And it, it seems to be almost every NFL team at this point in terms of the running back position. So, yeah, you you needn't another one-two punch type of guy. I don't want anybody in the fifth round. I mean, I liked Roshan Johnson as a as a pick in the fourth round, fourth, fifth round. I think he ended up going in the fourth round. If not mistaken, I can't quite remember. But I liked him in that range. But I'm not sure that he would – I'm not sure that he would be a guy they could depend on if Walker went down. I'd, I'd be very concerned if it was just him and Roshan Johnson and DJ Dallas. So – for that reason, I'm good with the pick. Um, there were some other scenarios, and I understand completely the argument that there were other directions they could have gone. But I, I sort of see both sides, if you will. I ask in part because, so I don't remember what year it was, but there was a year where Seahawks running backs got hurt, and it was clear that the coaches were panicked, right? Because the offense just looked different. And I think that they, it's obvious they value running backs differently than the rest of the league does. And I think they, they feel like this offense doesn't function well without a dynamic running back. Yeah. I get all that. Again, I asked the question, like you see Tajay Spears, right? With Tennessee playing really, really well. And I think he went third or fourth round. He's, and he's super dynamic. There's, my point is when I watch Charbonnet, I see a guy who's strong, and pretty fast hands are average at best right i've seen some drops i don't see great vision and i see someone who can take the rock and get you know four yards of carry maybe just over four yards of carry but i think you can find that anywhere you could have re-signed rashad penny and use that and, and just keep him on the shelf no well just hear me out though like penny might give you 90% of what you might get from Charbonnet, but that might be enough. I'm not talking about utilization of resources. I just, it, I, it comes up because of watching him in this game. I like him. I like that type of player. I like his toughness. I don't know if a second round pick is something I would have spent on him. Anyways, it was a little tangential to bring that up, but yeah. what I saw from, that's what I've seen from him so far this year. But it's, I, it's a fair point. Yes. It's a fair point. I uh, I don't like the Rashad, the Rashad Penny comp because really Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny kind of do the same thing in terms of getting you three yards in a cloud of dust when you need it. I'm not sure Penny's the guy. He can do it, but I'm not sure Penny's the guy that you want to lean on in those types of scenarios. So I, I like the complimentary nature right. of the Walker-Charbonnet tandem. Because for, for me, it was more about just if, if Walker goes down, do we have somebody else? If, I think, if my style is more just can you plug him in and have him be 90% of what you need? I like Charbonnet's ability to be both stable and powerful, but mm -hmm. also have wiggle mm -hmm. to also be able to run some, to be able to do some of the same plays that Kenneth can do, not in the same way, obviously not as a dynamic. Uh, Charbonnet's a little bit more stiff because he's bigger, right. but I like that he is more versatile than maybe just another one trick pony running back would be Right. So because of that. And I, and I, I'm, he doesn't have great hands, but I don't think he has poor hands either. I mean, Really, let's be real. The Seahawks don't use their running backs <laughs> in the receiving game a, a ton yeah. anyway. So, like, I'm not yeah. sure that's fair to right to, 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 to evaluate him from. Now, they just started using Kenneth Walker. I mean, they didn't even use him last year in that regard. So, that just goes to show you. Anywho, I think that he is versatile enough. He can do a little bit of everything you need, that you need. And I like having that guy be the backup but it's a fair point in terms of if you when you're looking at the offensive line and how poor the depth is wouldn't would a backup offensive guard being had been better yes I, that's a fair point I, that's I, I I, and that's what i mean like give me a second round guard give me a second yeah. round tackle give yeah. me a second any kind of second round well, no, not, not a tackle. well even if it's a swing maybe it's a swing guy right whatever no, it may be i okay so and I know we got to stop soon, but this this is the other point that I have is and it it this kind of bleeds into what what you were talking about on Twitter earlier. Mm -hmm. Give me good players. Yeah. And let me find where good players can get plugged in. When I say tackle, 
Some a lot of times young tackles get moved into guard for a while, right? Just give me the five best offensive linemen I can find and let me figure out a way to utilize them, right? Maybe it's rotating a third tackle in sometimes to give these guys a breather. Maybe it's playing that good tackle, that that potential good tackle down the road at guard, taking Phil Haynes' spot. Phil Haynes' not a bum, but he's close, right? Put him in Phil Haynes' spot until he can develop. And then maybe when Lucas and Cross get to their free agency, maybe you you plug that tackle in. Anyways, what I'm getting to is you got into it on Twitter with someone about Witherspoon playing in the slot. Yeah. And yep. this dude was coming at you, talking yep. about your best corners play outside, period. You don't know football, blah, blah, blah. Man, you get your best players on the field. And you set your best players up to succeed, right? You put them in the best position to succeed. And it does not matter where they line up. It does not matter. You get your best players on the field. And if if you think that Witherspoon, one of his best assets or attributes is the ability to blitz and the ability to, to cause, you know, wreak havoc in the backfield and to blow plays up, he's more likely to get that done from the slot than he is from the outside. Yeah. Right, yeah, I think he can do both. I really think he does both well. Look at Brian Branch, right? The dra- the second round draft pick of the Detroit Lions. Yep. Until he got hurt, was was having an enormous impact on this Lions defense out of the slot. Yep, Great safeties play in the slot. There's two types of safeties now. They might as well not be called the same position. There's yep. the one that plays close to the line, and there's the one that plays deep, right? Yep. And and they're not interchangeable any anymore. So the idea that you can't put your best corner in the slot is asinine to me. Mm-hmm. Who made up these rules? It's like the old dudes that make up the old rules for baseball that you can't celebrate and you can't yeah. do this and you can't do that. You can do anything you want. And and it's outdated because it doesn't it doesn't match the current NFL where some of your yeah. top wide receivers there's are three receivers. And there's three yeah. receivers playing. And a lot of times that top receiver is in the slot, right? Yep. Because they're trying exactly. to frame him up. Exactly. Where do you think Tyreek Hill lines up? He's not outside right. all the time. Exactly. It's just and, and against them, you could line up Waddle, and Waddle's a top 15 receiver. I just, yeah. when I saw that, I, I, you fight your own battles, and, and, <laughs> and I know you can, but I was watching that, and I was just thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Yeah, you I bookmarked it. Your best it- player, wherever you want to play him, and you set them up in the best position to succeed. Now, if he was like Reek Woolen, he's 6'3". He right. needs to be playing outside, right? Exactly. That makes sense for him, and you're setting him up to succeed by doing that. He's not a exactly. blitzer. He is a pure cover corner. Witherspoon's not that guy. Witherspoon is like a jack of all trades, and he's great at all of them. I just, I, I, I almost lost my mind. You just, you put your best players on the field, and a slot can be your best player. A middle linebacker can be your best player. There's no rule that says that specific level of players have to play in certain places. Right. It is just an old school sort of mentality, and and <laughs> and, it, and it really was funny. I, I bookmarked the comment because of the where where we left it in week one or two. Was that he was like, oh, you don't know football. You know, he's going to be at the, he's going to play in the slot. He's going to play on the outside forever. He's never playing a slot. Right. So I bookmarked it because I was like, OK, because I've heard Pete Carroll say he's practicing it both. I've heard Pete Carroll say he wants him to play it both. And so it was only going to be a matter of time in my mind. If the coach is saying he sure. sees this guy doing both. He never said Richard Sherman's going to play the slot. Richard Sherman never practiced in the slot. It doesn't. I mean, and, and so. The his the person's thought. If you guys you know don't follow me on Twitter, please do. But the person's thought was that because historically we've never done you have been versatile in how the cornerbacks are used means that it won't be the case of Witherspoon. Okay, well we never drafted anybody at the number five pick at right. that either, and so you can't just use history because he's unprecedented in general. And so that was my argument. And, and when he popped in the slot. <laughs> he's he still his ego didn't let him his ego wouldn't let him admit he was wrong he just kept kind of you know him out of the slot he was, yeah. he was killing him out of the slot and that's where you know that's where he came up and made the play on Paris Campbell for the tackle for loss on the bubble screen was out of the slot the yep. slot allows him if you give him the freedom to freelance be reactive use his instincts like that's why you picked him that high was that his best skill is his instincts right and the dog in him. Those are the two things that that make him different. Yep. You can't utilize that the same way on a, on the outside. Now, is he? Does he line up outside most of the time? Yes. And tons of value in his ability to cover. But those 
splash plays, those big plays, those explosive plays. That's why that's why you see Jamal Adams lining up in a similar a similar place. Yeah. I just yeah, I don't know. I had to I had to go off on that one because <laughs> that and I was like, come on now, like she gonna eat you alive. Uh, what, are you talk, what are you talking about here? Like that doesn't make yeah, any he just really wanted to stick on that. I, I I wanted to keep going, but I was like, no, you just if you watch that performance and you were like, no, I still think he should be outside. Then, then we no longer have a discussion, right? Because yeah, you don't know football. Just, yeah, you're just being rigid at that point in time. Yeah, like you, you yeah. just okay. Because that was an explosive performance, man. And you, if you, if you're still stuck on that, he only needs to be outside. Because I mean, I didn't say he needs to exclusively play the slot. I think it's great if you move him so that mm-hmm. defenses have to worry about where is he going to be. Is he going to be on the outside? Is he going to be in the slot? If he's going to be in the slot, is he going to be blitzing? Is he going to be covering? Is that's what you want the defense to do? You want he's a, you want to use him as a chess piece. That's why you get him at number five. You don't get a guy, ideally, I mean, it, at a corner position, it, who's just you want a vers- the versatility as a whole other component when he can be at lead at both. He can he does very well guarding on the outside. So it's not like. It's a weakness, but can you, if you can put him in the position, if he becomes a weapon in the slot, aim your weapon a few times in the game. Like I said, four, four, four or five, maybe six times, use him in the slot. See what he can do. And then put him back on the outside just because it's going to make the offense have to think. The opposing offense is going to have to think. That's always what you want. It's the same reason why they got Jamal Adams. Mm -hmm. Like you said, having both of those guys. It's fun. I really hope that Jamal's good to go after the week. It's really unfortunate for him that he got that concussion, with, what, like nine snaps in or something like that. Uh, just got to kind of feel for the guy. At least I do. But um, one, one other thing for me on Witherspoon is the the health and performance. What he does is he allows for the health and performance of Trey Brown, Michael Jackson, Julian Love, now what you can do is you can take the best one of those three, right, in, in a given moment or the best matchup against yep. the opposing team. If you need someone, if you feel like Brown or Brown can hold up or Jackson can hold up on the outside, right, now yep. you can play Witherspoon in the slot. And it yep. gives you options. If you want to play three safeties with Love and Adams and Diggs, then you put, put then you put Witherspoon outside and you let him do his like he just exactly. the fact that he is so great anywhere gives you flexibility to play your best players right exactly. gives you the opportunity to get your best secondary on the field against the other team and compensate for health and health yep. issues so exactly. it's just you have to get with the times you know what I mean yep. like, like it's not we don't have Kenny Easley on this team yeah you know what I'm saying it's just it's just a different it's the same. Not to go off, I'll be done after this, but I don't know, I got fired up. The, yeah. It's like when you say, like when people would say in the 80s that quarterbacks could only be one way. Yeah. And by one way, I mean a lot of different things. You can take that for what it's worth. Right, exactly. You just quarterbacks are to be in the pocket. They're to have a quick release. They're to have a big arm. It's why the Seahawks drafted Dan McGuire, a six eight, you know, totem pole, basically. It's it's Dan Marino. It's, you know, it's those guys. Quarterback can only play one way. Quarterbacks have to be have to be this. They have right. to look like this, right? And then we see the development of the quarterback position to players like Lamar Jackson, who can still throw, but have this element and this mobility, this ability to run. You get them outside of the pocket. Now the whole position has completely flipped on its head. Yeah, and, and it's made the game better. Sorry for the you know. To, sorry to say, but it's changed color. The play the position has yeah. changed. Yes. You look at, you know, the best quarterbacks can do all of it. Patrick Mahomes can scramble for 30 yards on a, on a third and 23, right? But he's got a great arm, as we all know. Right. Best case scenario is to have both at this point in time. And to me, that is just that is an example of taking this rigid rule mm-hmm. people believe to be gospel and and say, no, that doesn't work, right? We're gonna we're gonna develop and progress and get better at this. And I think the comment about corners only being great corners only playing outside is is very similar in that way you yeah. got to open your mind up and and I should tell myself that about the running game but you got to open your mind up and and realize that that's doesn't have to be that way you can be successful in many many different ways somebody made a uh I can't remember what program it was on somebody made a Ronde Barber reference 
mm-hmm. in terms of how he was used in multiple ways and 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 he was still great and mm-hmm. so to, i mean to to your point i think those boxes that sometimes are are put um the game is better for versatility the game is better when you take different components and you put it in one position and it it makes the overall team better so um I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited about Witherspoon. He had an on-fire performance uh, for all of the people. Just want a quick, speaking of Twitter beasts, for all of the people who were, <laughs> Witherspoon is a bust. Witherspoon is nothing. He is trash because he was not playing in training camp because of a hamstring injury. So all of the people that said, we should have got Jalen Carter instead Devin Witherspoon has more sex. I just want to put that out there. He's got, got that more sex. Thing. Yeah, and I'm not sure, like, long-term that Carter will probably, I mean, maybe have more sex. We'll see, actually. Um, that'll be interesting to follow, but it's just, it goes to show you that you're not just getting a sack guy. You're getting a guy who can get you sacks, but you're also getting a guy who can get pass breakups, who can get mm-hmm. interceptions, who can do more. Jalen Carter's not running a, a 97-yard pick six. Right. Ever, right. like ever, and I I understand the thought process behind the Jaden Carter pick and the controversy that sur- that surrounded it, but I I trusted the process of John and Pete, I really did in that instance. I mean, they have a ton of information that we just did not have. We weren't sitting in the interview mm-hmm. when they talked with Jalen Carter, so mm-hmm. I trusted that Deborah Witherspoon was the guy, and I'm just happy that hopefully people's trust are is restored in. The Seahawks' ability to to make that decision. It was a bold decision, I understand, but I've sort of always stood by. I've leaned them, mm-hmm. leaned on them in terms of that argument, and so I'm happy to be avenged. He he changes the complexion of the entire defense. Yeah, I guess to take the the podcast full circle, we said this in the beginning. He he's he's a a trendsetter, a table you know a table setter. He's the one who brings the energy. And the nastiness and the dog and the fight, and he will not let this defense quit. No, he sets the tone, and that's what they needed. That's what they thought they had in Jamal Adams, and I think they still do. But it doesn't hurt to add another guy like that. He changes the entire, he takes this defense to a completely different place, right? Woolen did it last year in some ways, and I think is as effective of a player, but he doesn't do it, he doesn't necessarily make everyone around him better play differently because of his energy right there's something tangible about the way that witherspoon plays that has changed this team and taken this team for me from like a nine win team to maybe 11 or 12 win team because this defense is so much better than i think we expected so i don't know i I love it for me it's i always watch the seahawks games anyways but but it's must see tv for me and to watch this defense play how often do you say that, right? This was fun. This game was fun. I want to. I want to sort of end on a, a question that I that I thought about earlier when we started the podcast, mm-hmm. and it's. I know we talked about turnovers and the importance of that, and how Devin Witherspoon changes the scheme. Mm-hmm. Now, turnovers can be fluky. So, let's say we go through a stretch where they're not able to get turnovers. Mm-hmm. How improved still is this defense based on the other things that you've seen? Well, for one, I think that the edge play, the development of the edges and the ability of the edges to become more dynamic and more explosive and actually get to the quarterback changes things drastically, right? So that's step one. You have to get pressure. Yep. And if they play well, I think Draymond Jones is is very, very good, but he can't do it by himself. If you can get pressure on the edge, then Jones becomes that much better of a player. I think you put those things together with Bobby Wagner's ability to stop the run single-handedly and teams aren't going to put up more than probably 21, 24 points against the Seahawks without turnover, even if the Seahawks don't create turnovers because they're keeping things in front of them, right? Secondary is playing conservatively as much as I know you don't like that. You keep it in front of them, you get some form of pass rush from the outside and you don't let them run you over. I think to me that's that's a vanilla kind of boring sort of defense as far as you know uh points allowed but that's a winning formula to me. Now the other the wild card is now you've got two players in 
Adams and uh, Witherspoon, who I think could make one big play that changes the entire game. It could be a sack. It could be that one turnover, you know, late in the game. They have the ability to create that single-handedly. And I don't know if previous Seahawks defenses had that kind of talent on the defense that can make that happen. So I'm comfortable with it, right? I think that that there are going to be games where they don't create turnovers. And as long as the offense doesn't turn the ball over, I think that formula works. Then it's that Pete Carroll special, right? It's the it's the keep everything in front. Let's play. Let's play. Be zone heavy. Let's try to get some pressure and call it a day. So I'm I'm confident. That's not obviously. I want to see more explosive plays on defense, but I think they're okay if they don't get them. Whereas a couple last year, a couple years ago, you just saw they would just they just bled because they couldn't stop anybody. This is right. to me. This defense is different. Yeah, and and I asked that question because of that. Like you said, last year when the turnovers stopped, the defense stopped being good. I mean, they were really they went through a stretch where they were getting. I mean, Kobe Bryant was getting forced fumbles, and they were on a roll, and then that stopped, and the defense fell in. And so I was kind of asking mostly for comparison purposes in mm-hmm. terms of really where they are. And I think you made all great points. I agree with the edges. The edges are better. I think the interior is able to get pressure a little bit because Jaron's been doing a good job at yeah. that at the nose position and he's much more mobile and he's Great got job. he's he's helping. I think he's helped them they're working in tandem. The interior giving a little bit more push so the edge can get more push and then that helping you know and vice versa. So mm-hmm. I agree with you there. I also think like you said just the ability even if they didn't get the turnovers the sacks. I do think those are game changing plays that they can get just from blitzing. Mm-hmm. And I will say I, I my hope is that that was just a game plan thing in terms of the conservative nature. They'll always mix some of that in there, but hopefully they do run some more. Uh, and it's really picking your timing, right? Like I can deal with soft zones as long as you're aggressive when it comes to third down situations and you and you do press man. You don't make it super easy to get the first down. I I think you can pick your spots there truly, but I I would also say that I think it's improved because, like I said, the linebacker play is improved, and I think. The corners, I love, I love just the the situation that the the quarterbacks are in because people don't want to throw at Woolen, generally speaking, because mm-hmm. he can easily get an interception on you. He may the guy may look open, right? But Woolen's got so much speed, he can just close that space. But what has resulted in is is Witherspoon getting more, getting more targets, and he's super ticky tacky and doesn't mm-hmm. let anything get up easy. So I think I agree with you. If the even if the turnovers. They didn't get those explosive plays for whatever time during a period of time. I think the defense would still be improved because they improved other elements. And I think they've improved the aggressiveness of the scheme. If it's not in coverage, it's aggressive. If they're going to continue to do those blitzes, utilize Bobby, utilize Jordan Brooks to catch the quarterback off guard. You don't have to go heavy with it, but it is about timing. And I think that Clint Hurt, seemed at least in this game to have a really good feel for when to you know pick his spots and I, I want to give him some credit for that because people have been giving him a lot of crap so mm-hmm. he did a really good job in terms of feel like you said they were conservative at times but also they turned up the heat and I think it was uh yeah it was a masterful performance in terms of from a scheme perspective too agree and I think you're right we we should be given Clint Hurt you know, his, his props because he did, he called a great game. That slot blitz from, from Witherspoon was nasty. Jones didn't see him until the last possible second. And it was mm-hmm. instantaneous and he was on him. Right. Yep. That was a great call. When he popped, when Witherspoon popped, uh, uh, the running back number 23, yeah. right. Right. That was, they outflanked him on the left side. And that was how they were able to, uh, how they were able to, he was able to make that play, but that's a defensive call, right? That's a defensive call knowing that you have a, a team outflanked on the outside like that. And that's, yes, Witherspoon provided the pop and you still have to make the play, but that was a great play call uh, by the defense. I, I too hope they maintain the aggression. I think you can't help but think that they will because of the success in this game. Again, not everyone's Daniel Jones, right. but the fact of the matter is you got to, I think they will stay aggressive because they played so well in this game. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is encouraging. So let's see, we are on a bye week so I don't have really anything to discuss. We might do some comment. I might, I might do an episode. I'll, I'll just, I'll kind of see, go through the pressures and see if there's anything worth doing mm-hmm. in the bye week if nothing else. 
But if not, we'll be back for week six, a big game against the Bengals. Um, we actually have an opportunity for a crossover. So I'm going to attempt to reach out to what I've actually already talked with the guy who does sports ethos, uh, Bengals. Right. And he's agreed when we when we did a matchup to do that. So hopefully we can schedule it, make it in a way that it makes sense for um, our schedules. But that, that'll be a really cool episode coming up. So stick with us. Um, Tino, why don't you close us out and you know, let people know where they can find you and your stuff and Yes. Yeah, so Twitter, Tino Junior 20, T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. Uh, I do the host, the the Ethos Mariners podcast. Uh, Mariners are out of the playoffs. They missed it by one game, but I will still be doing probably twice a week talking about uh, potential moves in the offseason, what this roster looks like, uh, responding to some of the, the Twitter comments about the uh, front office and whatnot. It's always baseball for me. Uh, I go inward and at this time and watch football and, and and work on my nerdy baseball numbers and whatnot. But I'll still be out there with two podcasts a week. I'll be jumping on with Candace when I'm invited and keep watching Hawks football and, and enjoying it. So I appreciate it. It's been fun. It has been, especially at a game like that. Be yes. sure to follow the show on Ethos Seahawks. Like I said, we got a ton of information, stats out there. Uh, that way you, you you can follow along the podcast better because we will refer to some of the things that happen on Twitter just because the sports and, and Twitter go hand in hand so much these days. Anywho, uh, so be sure to give us a follow there. If you are listening on iTunes, uh, Spotify, make sure to give us a review. Uh, we will shout out any five-star reviews that we get. And finally, that's all the time we have for today. We're out. And as always, go Hawks.